On this episode of the Naturist Living Show, movie wrap-up and an interview with Dennis Craig Smith. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome to the 33rd episode of the Naturist Living Show. It's summer here again at Bear Oaks, and it's wonderful to be recording outside and uh, have the warmth and the sunshine and, of course, not be wearing anything. But, of course, I always respect you, dear listener, by always recording without any clothes on. This episode, as usual, is brought to you 100% clothes-free. On Sunday, June 26th, 2011, we had the preview, which I announced in the last show, of Act Naturally, the movie. It was uh, held in Toronto at the Fox Theatre, which is this wonderful old theatre from the earlier 20th century, and uh, seats 240 people, and it's got all kinds of neat features in it. And uh, we had two showings. We had the nude audience, uh, nude, nudity mandatory for the first show, and clothing optional for the second. And we got a total of, uh, I think, it was about 140 people show up, which was uh, quite good. We, we were hoping for a few more, but it was a really good audience. Most people actually came for the nude-only uh, showing, which suggests that they preferred the, to be in a community of like-minded people, which is, I guess, more argument in favor of uh, my belief that clothing optional is not a good idea in naturism. And uh, we had we were honored to have four people here from the show. We had uh, two of the actors, uh, Katie Hall, who plays Leah, and uh, Josh McVaney, who plays Trevor. Uh, we also had J.P. Riley, the director, and we had uh, Maya Cooper. Uh, she is the supervising sound editor. They all stayed at Bear Oaks. They were there for a few days, and uh, we toured them around uh, Toronto afterwards. I took them for a tour. And then we sat down at Bear Oaks um, in the dining room and uh, had a little chat and discussion uh, about the movie. And of course, I recorded it for uh, your benefit, so here's that discussion. Okay, so why don't we start by introducing you each introduce yourself, like your name and what you're doing in the movie. So that's... Okay. Um, hey, my name is Katie Hall. I uh, co-wrote, co-produced, and co-starred in Act Naturally. I played Leah Collins. Hi, I'm J.P. Riley. I am the director writer and co-producer of Act Naturally. And I'm Josh McVaney. I play Trevor Wilson. Yeah. Josh, you sound like you've got a nice, you know, chipper morning voice there. Did you just roll out of your sir? I just woke up, yeah. Actually, I'm not even completely awake right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, first international debut in Canada. How was it? It was amazing! <laughs> well, first off, um, it would not have been able to be done without Stefan. You, we, none of us really know anyone in Toronto. So this was kind of new for us being the international premiere and also being in a city where we don't know a single soul. So it was nice to have a sort of following and all the friends that you invited. Um, the theater was insane. It was beautiful. Um, the turnout was pretty good. And I think that the, the, the response afterwards was really good as well. I think it was well received. There was one person 
that said he didn't like it. But surprisingly, he asked for all of our autographs and stood around for the next show and asked for a DVD. So. <laughs> I hate it. Give me your autograph. <laughs> that was my favorite part. It's like, what'd you think? Didn't like it. Can I have your autograph? <laughs> sure, I guess. What's your name? Don't need the name. <laughs> so you just want to sell this on eBay, sir. Right. Yeah. Let's try to make my money back. Yeah. <laughs> sir, I will give you a refund happily. I thought it was awesome because... It was not only my first time seeing it in theater, but it was also my first time um, being in Toronto, and it was like a whole new experience. So it was like kind of, and also we had been traveling forever, so when we got here I was already delirious, so it was like traveling into a dream, then seeing this movie in a theater, I'm like, is this real? Is this real? And it was awesome. And the the, excuse me, the beaches um, is a really cool place and uh, the city and everything is, is awesome yeah, yeah. And, and how many previews have you done before this? Um, this is our fourth screening hmm. um, first one was in Colton, California at the, where we shot the movie at Olive Dell Ranch um, with Bobby and Becky Kilborn and they invited a couple other local resorts and nudist groups and then the first um, theatrical Screening was in New York at the Soho Digital Arts um, Gallery, and that we ended up selling out three screenings for that. Um, I was really not sure what to expect for the Soho screening, and um, when we get we, so the first screening sold out online before we even set foot on wow. the island, and so they had to add a second one upstairs during simultaneously with the first one downstairs, oh. and then there was still a line outside waiting, so we had to add a third one after the first two ended. <laughs> Cool. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, and I walked outside to have a cigarette after the second screening, and I asked the guy how long he'd been waiting there, and he said he'd been there since 3 o'clock, and this was around 11 p.m. <laughs> wow. And then... And where was it, he from? Yeah, this is where it gets good, because I was like, well, I'm sorry to make you wait so long. He goes, huh? I drove all the way from Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> to New York. To New York. Wow. Just, just as he was wanted to be at the first public screening. So yeah. adorable. And so we're going back there on July 15th. We're doing another screening there, but just nice. because there was... Popular demand, yeah. apparently. Yeah. A lot of people said they still missed it and didn't weren't able to make it or didn't know about it. Huh. And you know, out of a city with 22 million people, I can believe it maybe yeah. a handful. So. It's just a small amount. <laughs> yeah, but in the grand scheme of things, I think we we sold uh, 300 people to New York. Was the number of tickets we sold? Wow, that's good. Yeah, that's I didn't. I wasn't sure what to expect at all. I, I never am. I'm always um, keep the expectations low, so you're always surprised. Like whenever when anyone gives me numbers, I always divide that number like by 10 in my head. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Just like when, if they say, you know, we're going to have 100 people, I think we're going to have 10. Right. Yeah. Um, that way you're never disappointed. And we haven't been so far. And, you know, so far the tour has, every city we've gone to, we've, we've, we've turned a profit. Hmm. Um, so what, what's, what have you learned from all these screenings of the movie? That nudists will see the movie and pay extra to see it naked. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, that was one of the things that I was most nervous about when Christine wanted to set the prices around $30. Or twenty nine dollars, or twenty five dollars, and I was like, "Who's good? I wouldn't pay twenty five dollars to go see a movie." And then I thought about it, and I did pay twenty five dollars to go see Kevin Smith um, do Red State at the Wiltern, and I paid seventy five dollars a ticket to go see wow. um, an advanced preview of Red State, and because I, I would, and Red State is so good, I would frankly pay one hundred and seventy five to see it again right now. Mm -hmm. But I think it's because it's like it's it's a special circumstance, it's a niche, you know, like there's a certain audience that wants to experience it in in their the way that they would like to experience it. And so it's not just spending 20 bucks or 12 bucks to go see a movie. It's like, 
spending 25 for like an overall experience. It's like right. an event. Yeah. So, and also the fact <clears throat> that that's the only way you can see the film right now. I mean, you're not going to be able to see it any other way. And it's, it's kind of funny because after the films, uh, screenings, one of the most common questions is, how do I get my hands on the film? I'd like to buy a copy. Mm-hmm. And show my other friends now because you you have to know that for every one person who shows up at the theater, they probably know five other people who didn't come. Right. Yeah. At least. So. It's a, so is having a nude screening a difference? Does that make a difference? Um, the first time I did the Q and A afterwards yeah. in New York, I did the we did the Q and A nude, and that's kind of how we're selling the thing. You know, you get ninety minutes of movie, ninety minutes of Q and A. You know, that's three hours of entertainment for, you know, 20 bucks or 25 bucks. You know, it's not such a bad deal. And you get to watch it naked with us. Um, that's, the, yeah, there's always, I think it was the first time for everybody to do something like that at a public movie theater. But you know how the old story adage is, you know, imagine your audience naked when you have to, pub, do pub, when you have to public speak. <laughs> I never thought about that's that. That's funny. I never did either. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but at the New York screening, I had a lot of friends. And, and from film school and from, you know, bands I directed music videos for in the audience. And I was like, oh, okay, good thing this won't be awkward, like nerve, nerve, nerve wracking with, you know, girls I had crushes on in, in film school or in the audience. And I'm like, okay, if I can do this one, I can do any of them. Yeah. Um, and there was a lot of press there too that evening. There was like the Village Voice and The Onion and Jezebel. Well, it's, I'm sorry to interrupt you. It's funny because my best friend from like since I was six years old, her name is Katie Fisher, she came to the screening in New York and she brought her fiance, who was a very like conservative, kind of straight laced guy. And, uh, and um, Fisher was like, So, sweetie, is it, is it weird to see Katie naked? And he was like, Nah, I mean, because of her personality, I feel like she'd make it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, Oh, that's. I like that. That's kind. Of, I'll take that as a compliment. So were they naked or were they dressed? No, they weren't. They were pretty much at the screening. Every single person was naked, except for maybe five people: okay. Fisher and her fiance, and then. Liz. That was one of my favorite parts about when Fisher walked in. She kind of like put her hands around her skirt, like I should really take this off. I think that, and I think it said a lot about. I mean, her fiance is fantastic, but he comes from like a very you know conservative family, and she was about to, and then you could see her like kind of look over at him, and then be like, uh, he was like, that no. <laughs> so there was there was a fun dynamic there. So, uh, well, it's interesting yeah. though because you see these clothed people all of a sudden feeling really uncomfortable, <laughs> and it really is the environment. And when you're exposed to that environment, you see all of these these people interacting with each other. They don't have clothes on, and they're not banging each other. <laughs> you know, you're like you already have like these premonitions of what's going to be happening when you do get that environment you don't see that and you see something completely different and I think that's pretty awesome because the people who do walk in the theaters and they are clothed they're 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 feeling really uncomfortable yeah, yeah I, I think you know people have said you know why do you want to do a why do you want to see a movie naked like really it's not like you're swimming or you're at the beach or whatever yeah, yeah. but we did this with a, a play too and um, and in this play, there was a lot of nudity. The women spend most of their time nude because it was about being uh, painters' models in the beginning of the 20th century, oh, right? Okay. In in Paris, like sirens. Uh, yeah, yeah. And the, I thought it was a more honest way of watching them because we weren't there. For, we weren't there uh, as voyeurs anymore, uh-huh. and they weren't exhibitionists. You know what I mean? They weren't showing themselves because we were all nude. It was now about the play. Yeah. And I kind of felt that here too. You felt like you were part of the movie more 
because we were all nude with you guys on screen. You know what I mean? It's definitely interactive cinema. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it's a little bit like that. You know, like when you go you go to uh, some movies and you dress up because people are really into it and they dress up for Star Wars like they're Darth Vader or whatever. Yeah. This is this was being part of the movie because we were with you as opposed it's to interactive. just... interactive, yeah. yeah. We weren't just watching. Um, but the so, Q&A has been really, really fun. And some of the questions... And the, the thing I like most about doing these Q&As is ordinarily I do a lot of... Q&As for like music video conferences and film festivals where I have a music video screening. And it's always the same five questions. It's always, what was your budget? How did you become a director? Will you look at my reel? Will you look at my resume? Um, how did you get your foot in the door kind of questions? And these were not those at all. So that's what's so refreshing about these Q&As is we get, we get fresh questions and fresh answers and it's not the same old, you know, I'm sure by the end of the, the tour, I'll be like, oh, it's the same 10 questions from nudists. But it's yeah. not, because, I mean, you get completely fresh questions, and that, in, in turn, means we get to come up with a completely fresh set of answers. So the whole thing's been really invigorating, and it really put a, a, a really fun spin back into the question and answer. Did you form. do any previews with dress people? This was the first one here. No, no, with dress people, with... We did oh, no, LA. in LA. LA we did yeah. one in LA. LA was yeah. specifically for like our friends and family that like I mean there was a few nudists that came uh, like from a, a you know a blog that he did but it was I think that one was really well received just because it was our closest friends like right. people that have been asking for years when can we see this? Yeah, the Los Angeles screening was fish in a barrel because you know my sister's not going to show up and say like your movie sucked, which actually is funny because she did say that on the first cut. She said it on the first cut. <laughs> she liked it this time. But no, it was actually kind of funny because we had um, a little under 100 people there. This was a really good turnout. And I had like three friends text me on their way there and be like, uh, should I come naked? What should I do? And I was like, <laughs> I was like, no, it's okay. But I love that that's like people just understand that like if you see this movie, there's going to be a 95% chance that you're going to see it naked. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. But it was, it was a really was a good night. optional or not? This was, no, this was clothing required because it was at a, a local bar. It just happened to have a screening. So, so did you notice any difference between the clothed audiences and the nudist naturist audiences? Um, I think the biggest thing is the laughing points. Like most of the time, uh, the nudists laugh at the jokes that have something to do with like, uh, you know, news community. So like if, if Corey, is, Corey is saying something about how, you know, asking Liz to like, you know, free up and take off her clothes. There's just like different jokes that are... Um, for example, the, the, um, the, uh, the Mangina monologue sequence um, gets either a huge laugh or crickets. And it depends, you know, regionally or geographically, I think, where people don't, in places where there isn't necessarily a huge community theater scene hmm. or an art scene, um, it, I think it just goes over their heads. But that's usually one of the bigger laughs in the movie, or it's just completely dead air. Right. And, um, and, and especially in, in um, I've watched the movie at several agency screenings. Um, for agents and managers, and those are completely different laughing points than, I've, and I've never made comedy before, or produced comedy before, where you know you you always know where your laughs are. You kind of know what's funny and what's not. And what's interesting about this film is that that's, the laughs are in, the, the movie's never not gotten laughs, but the laughs are in completely separate places for nudists versus non-nudists. Yeah. I think it's because the 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 awkward laughter for non-nudists and then there's the funny because it's true laughter mm -hmm. for nudists and I think that's where yeah. you know we kind of I mean our ass hasn't gotten sore yet from straddling both sides of the fence. Well, I was upset <laughs> from one screen to the other because I sat through both screens mm -hmm. and the second one was clothing optional. Even though there were less people in the audience, I recorded on my phone 
the first movie because I wanted to know for myself like what was the fun where were your where your jokes were if yeah. you if your last were working or not I was just skipping forward to my scenes <laughs> oh yeah they really liked me uh, <laughs> no but it's so true because when you are naked watching the film it's like you're a nudist and you're in that community and you're right there with them but when you have clothes on you're kind of like watching a nudist movie Mm-hmm. That's that's the way I see it, anyways. Yeah. And it was funny because I walked outside and I came back in and I had my clothes on, and I was just still like, you know, I kind of felt like those people, they're just one of just a regular person watching a nudist movie, and I was like, okay, I'll take my clothes off. <laughs> <laughs> you like the first page of Where's Waldo? Yeah. He stuck out like Mike Tyson at a pride parade, and he walked back into that theater with clothes on. Yeah. So, JP, you and I while we talked about that, you've been in, you were a naturist, so. This is why you kind of got into this story. Write what you know is what my first, my professor, um, my screenwriting professor at Northwestern said, write what you know on the first day of class. And uh, I said, well, I know playing in a mediocre rock band um, that's marginally talented. I know owning a landscaping business and I know going skinny dipping. There (laughs) you go. (laughs) So I said out of those three kind of topics, I figured that might be the best one to write about. I did not know that it would take so long to to bring it off the page and onto the onto the. It's screen. been three years, right? So uh, eleven since I started writing the script. Eleven. Three I'm, years of production. Three years yeah. of production since we started shooting it. It's been. It took me seven years to get the financing together, and and before wow. we even started rolling a single frame. Now, Katie and Josh, you were not naturists before. Yeah. But you're sitting here, obviously very comfortable. Yeah. You do Q and A's in front of people that are dressed sometimes. Uh-huh. We're not naked. <laughs> yeah. <we are>. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you gotta get out now. <laughs> um, yeah. So, for, for all those sitting at home, we are sitting right now at um, at the Bear Oaks um, Clubhouse, and we are we are definitely adhering to the rules of the resort at this yeah. moment. <laughs> so, what was it like for the two of you? Like, what to what you go through to become this way? Was it hard? Um, well, I think the, the first step was JP and I wrote this together. So we were sitting down and we were writing it and it would have been a little bit awkward if I wrote something and then wasn't comfortable you know, fulfilling that. So we wrote it, I, that's not to say that the first day I got on set I wasn't a little bit nervous, um, but I, I think it's one of those things that like you kind of prepare yourself it's like doing anything new, like skydiving, doing something that you've never done before that you're like a little bit like uneasy about at first and then once you do it, you're like, I was stupid. Why did I wait 15 years to try something? So uh, once you get on set, literally it was like a 15 minute period where you're like, this is a little bit different because it's cold outside and I'm getting wind in places I've never gotten wind in before. Uh, and then you're totally fine. So I think I think now still like when you go when you go to uh, do a Q&A or something like that. It always feels a little bit out of place just because you're not used to being in a movie theater or being in whatever landmark. Oh, yeah. In, Naked. In, yeah, yeah. Sans clothes. <laughs> yeah. But it's definitely not something that I really think about. Like, I, I don't know. And that's, you know, that's one of my favorite things about doing these screenings at Real Theaters because we're like so borderline mainstreaming there. Like, that's where we, the, the people here leave the confines of the resort. The tough part about it is trying to figure out where to tell everyone to disrobe and like how to get that organized and you know they, the people walk in and be like should I just take strip it off or do you have do you provide a, ba- a, a tote bag for people do you just give them a garbage sack and say throw it under your chair with the gum and the popcorn <laughs> <laughs> huh. for me um, I got the script and I was thinking like okay cool you know this might happen um, we, it was still not the dates weren't set so I was thinking like you know this might happen within a year or so and I was okay with it. I was like, yeah, okay, let's totally do it. So JP came through Austin. We did a test run. 
we went to Hippie Hollow, and that's like a little day place, park, pretty much. And um, I passed, you know. I was like, <laughs> okay. We actually filmed inside my own house. We were filming the first um, frying bacon scene and some other stuff. That's in your kitchen in Austin. Yeah, yeah. there's another frying, <clears throat> there's another scene where I'm frying bacon. But um, we do that, we go to the resort um, or the park and we do that as well. And it was all fine um, until like some guys who had clothes on were just like walking up to us and just like staring and I was just like, I feel really uncomfortable. <laughs> but um, that was kind of like not the real deal for me because it was JP with his camera and me and my girlfriend at the time. There was three of us. So when I got on set, um, <clears throat> I had like my first scene, like I was, I was in the scene. I didn't have any lines or anything, but I was ready to go kind of like, I had to just kind of get there, unpack, put, put my, take my clothes off, put my robe on and go to the set. So I do, and my robe was, um, it didn't have a drawstring on this side, but it did on this side, but it had a loop on this side. So I was like, you know, already like, man, I really want to like make this secure. <laughs> and so I get onto the set and um, they're just, you know, setting up and getting ready. And then JP's like, um, he's like, all right, let's go. Let's, you know, let's get everything going. And I didn't want to be the last one to take my robe off. I knew I had be the like last this, one in the pool. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I thought if I was the last one to take my robe off, I might very well just like chicken out, just run away. That would have made, sir. That would have made for an outstanding deleted scene where I'm like, all right, roll sound. Um, all right, everyone, lock it up for a take. Set, and Josh just takes off yeah. out the door. I can't do this. <laughs> like run away, and run away. And so I was like, well, I'm gonna be the first one then. And I could see a couple other people were like, you know, kind of like r racing each other to the thought. I felt like it was like that. Yeah. So it was just like, okay. And so without even thinking about it, I was like, bam, throw my robe down. And I was like, in my mind, like an explosion yes. just happened. It was like Fourth like, of July. Oh my! God. I felt like I just jumped into ice cold water. So I have no idea. It was just so funny, like how I felt when I did that, because there were. Um, clothed people on the crew that day. And it's not, not everybody had warmed up to it. And even when we were shooting, not everybody was naked the whole time. And you know, it's, everybody's okay with that. But um, I, I just took my robe off and it was like, once that five seconds went by, I kind of like opened my eyes again and just kind of saw my surroundings. And I was like, okay. Everything's the same. I thought like, <laughs> the whole world was gonna be on fire or something. And like, nobody's like, you know, it's just so funny because you expect something completely different, but you don't know what to expect. You know, what, for me at least, I was just like, I know something crazy is gonna happen when I take this robe off. And, you know, and I took the robe off and it's like, Nothing crazy is happening. We're just gonna <laughs> we're just gonna continue acting and yeah. our moves. Like, okay, I'll just act normal then. 
you know? And so I was just like, all I gotta do is do act naturally. But yeah, I didn't notice that like, it was windy up there, and I was like, oh, this is awesome, you know? I'm getting wind in my butt crack and my balls and everything. <laughs> and I've never felt that before, so it was pretty cool. And, and you're totally comfortable now. Yeah. Did you have any concerns, though, for professionally for your career? Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I didn't really give you time to think about it. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> so Friday Night Lights was awesome, but um, it wasn't. It wasn't something that was a catalyst, like pushing me into the next dimension of acting. So, um, and in fact, I hadn't even had any acting classes when I was on the show. I just kind of got thrown into it because. I wanted to do it. I was the right place at the right time, kind of thing. And um, then we filmed this this movie, and I did kind of have some thoughts going on in my mind. But at the same time, every actor has like one of those films, and it doesn't have to be like one of those catastrophic deaths. You know, it's uh, it's just one of those films, and and people talk about like. What was the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie where he's just blatantly naked in, in a scene? Terminator. Was it Terminator? Terminator yeah. 1 where he goes through time and he comes out with the bubble. Yeah. Uh, and Terminator 2 for that matter where he walks and goes, I need your clothes, your boots, your heart, your uh, motorcycle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then you see these films and, and there's like nudity and it's not even, but this movie is about nudity and I'm just like, well, it's kind of the same thing. It's just like instead of 20 seconds, like an hour and a half. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. And I'm like, I don't really care, you know. And it's a good script. And so, uh, after watching the movie, it's not like you can say, "Oh, that movie was so stupid. It was so dumb." Because that's kind of what I was hoping people wouldn't say. Well, you can't. Like, you would you would be looked at as like, "Wow, you're really you're a really shallow person," because this movie's about accepting yourself, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so you uh, you're kind of like a really big jerk. <laughs> like go dig a hole and bury yourself. I think if we were all really embarrassed by the film, if the film had a really sucky, weak plot line, and if it wasn't shot well or done well, then I would be embarrassed by it. Or exploitive. Yeah. Or, uh, but the sheer fact that it's um, a movie that has to do with nudity and is not like exploitative, I think that we're good. I don't think I'm ever going to be embarrassed by But Katie, as a woman and an actor, there's, there's even more of a stigma about doing nude yeah. scenes. You weren't concerned about your career? Oh, I'm not, yeah. I mean, I was definitely concerned for a hot second when I mean, we talked about it, but uh, I think that having JP, I mean, he's one of my closest friends. I know that he would never ever do anything to, to uh, downgrade this film. I, I know he wouldn't shoot it in a certain way and wouldn't like light it in a certain way to make us look like we're flaunting stuff that we shouldn't be flaunting. Like it was literally just- All of a sudden just, I was just like, Katie, here's the baby oil, go lay down by the I pool. I mean, definitely <laughs> like in the outtakes, JP would be like, boobs. <laughs> but like, I I think that having him uh, having him there with me made me feel at ease enough to know that the film would be in good hands. So you trusted yeah. me against like, your better instance, judgment. I work on a show right now, which I will not name, but it's an HBO show that is um. There's a lot of boobies and and ass, and that might be something that could be embarrassing uh, to my career and could hurt my career. Act naturally, on the other hand, is not. So I was looking at stats again, and uh, I was quite amazed to find out 
that the last show that we did, uh, episode number 32 on uh, uh, Christianity, is actually the most popular podcast to date uh, in terms of how many times it's been downloaded um, within uh, one month. And as of the day I'm recording this, it was 9,885 downloads. I've never had a show have so many downloads uh, within one month, or within the first month in this case. So um, it's not actually the most popular show. Uh, the most popular show is a show uh, about women, women and naturism, uh, that I did. Uh, it was episode number 17. And uh, that one's been downloaded uh, over 36,000 times. And you may recall that a few uh, around January or February, I announced that we'd exceeded 100,000 downloads. I now realize that that's not accurate. Um, it's actually a much higher number than that. We're likely at this point uh, three or 400,000 downloads. And I don't know the exact number. The problem is I was looking at the stats from FeedBurner, which is a wonderful service. But FeedBurner uh, only measures the downloads of the show that go through FeedBurner. And what I've learned is that people download directly from my server uh, more times than they do from FeedBurner. I guess once they have the link, they maybe they send it to friends or maybe they bookmark it and the downloads are coming directly. So I looked at the stats on the server, but unfortunately the stats package I have on the server is a little bit more limited and I can only find the top 10 quite easily and I can't get cumulative data. So it's hard to get total numbers, but needless to say that uh, the show on uh, women and naturism is uh, continues to be the most popular which is wonderful. It's wonderful that the show in general is so popular, and I, I really appreciate all of you that listen so uh, regularly and are such loyal listeners. Um, and uh, I, it's also nice because I know that you know women are the ones that can have a really hard time in our society, as we've talked about in other shows, and women are the ones that may have a harder time with the idea of taking their clothes off in naturism. And so... What's nice here is obviously people are uh, listening to this. Either women are listening to it uh, so that they can learn what naturism is about, or men are listening to it to better understand women. But I know that nobody's listening to it because they want to get a thrill because there's no pictures. It's just people talking about naturism. So that's really comforting because, unfortunately, you know, when you do a magazine or a video, as good as it might be, you know there's a number of people who are looking at it because they still see naturism, they still see the human body and nudity as a, a turn-on, as a thrill, as a, something to objectify and a type of soft porn. So obviously that's not the situation here. On the topic of women and naturism, actually, I want to read to you a letter that I got from Paul. An email, of course. Nobody sends letters anymore. Um, he says, first, I want to say thank you. For several things. I have been a naturist for some time, and my wife would hesitantly participate with me. But once I found your podcast and had her listen to your March 2010 podcast, she liked what she heard and is actually looking forward to a vacation and more time nude. It has, however, raised a question for her, and I am sure that she is not alone in this, but how to introduce our two sons, ages six and seven, to naturism. I have said, if we don't make a big deal about it, it won't be. But she still has other questions, such as how to tell them that this is appropriate and such. I would like to thank you for your podcast and how it has opened my wife's eyes to this. Keep up with a wonderful podcast, and I look forward to coming to Baroque sometimes in the near future. 
Blessings, Paul. So, of course, these emails, as many of the other ones I've read, are incredibly rewarding. And it's, it's really nice to know that uh, the things that I say uh, can help people discover this, this wonderful movement, this wonderful life philosophy, um, this better way of uh, living and uh, interacting with each other. And in terms of children, it is a topic that we will have in the future. Uh, I have actually a lot of material recorded. I'm just I'm actually finding it intimidating because I want to do a good job and there's a lot of things to talk about. Um, what I said to Paul and uh, was that my experience is introducing young people at that age, six and seven, um, is to not make a big deal of it at all and to just mention it, to just say, hey, uh, we're, just going, we're going to a place where you don't have to wear a bathing suit and nobody else does and it's a lot of fun. And kids may have a question or two, but generally if you don't make a big deal of it, they don't think it's a big deal, and it seems to work quite easily. They might be a little anxious until you get here. When they see everybody, they'll have a great time, and it'll be quite simple. And in terms of what they say to their friends and all that, those are good questions. Um, generally, it's not a problem, but I'll leave that to a, a future show. But on that subject, um, I had the privilege of uh, talking to Dennis Craig Smith. He's the author of a book that was originally called The Naked Child and was retitled for political reasons uh, as Growing Up Without Shame. The publisher of the uh, book thought that uh, The Naked Child might be a little too racy or problematic in terms of law enforcement, so that's why it got renamed Growing Up Without Shame. And if anybody has uh, any question about children, if anybody wants to know about naturism in children, that is the book that everybody should start with. And it is available through the Bear Boutique, and I'll put a link to it in the show notes, of course. More interestingly, I had a chance to interview Dennis Craig Smith because he has a new book called Naked Fear that he also wanted to talk about. But we also talk about growing up without shame and how that book came about to be. And what follows is my discussion with him. So uh, it's a great honor. Um, I will. I must admit, though, that uh, I am a. Uh, I'm very, very familiar with your book. Uh, Growing Up Without Shame or The Naked Child. I'm, I'm not sure which one is the... It seems to have two titles, depending on uh, where you look around in, in on the Internet about it. Well, let but, me tell you. Um, the book was published in 1982 as The Naked Child. And after that, Ed Lang from Elysium bought the rights and published it as Growing Up Without Shame. And one reason, after he bought the rights, one reason he changed is we were in a climate of fear and hysteria about uh, nudity, sexuality, young children. And so the naked child just smacked pedophilia. And we had uh, people who wouldn't touch the book, uh, distributors, uh, under the title uh, The Naked Child. So Ed combined the title, but uh, focused on growing up without shame as the main part. The book was originally published as The Naked Child in 82, and then uh, as the Growing Up Without Shame in 86. So we've had a long run, and uh, it, um, it, can be, um, it can be purchased... Uh, off the internet and uh, from a, a couple of sources like that. Yeah, we do have a few copies uh, in the Bear Boutique at Bear Oaks, which is also online, but it wasn't easy to find those copies to sell. 
So why don't we start also by, I'd like to know a little bit more about yourself, because uh, other than that fact that you're the author of uh, Growing Up Without Shame, uh, I know very little about you. Well, the most important thing probably is that I'm a teacher and writer. I was a elementary school teacher for 35 years. I retired um, about seven years ago. But being a writer and a curious person, I started writing about the things that uh, I was wondering about. One of them, I'm from a beach area down below Los Angeles. And as I was growing up, being on the beach um, almost all year, but especially every day during the summer, um, and being in a, in a bathing suit, you know, most of my life, we had a foreign exchange student from Sweden at our high school. And <clears throat> one day we were at a, a beach party, and this fellow from Sweden uh, started laughing and, and chatting about, you Americans are so um, such purists and Puritans. And he was saying that, we put a two-piece bathing seat suit on a three-year-old child, and uh, and but tell her her body is beautiful, but don't don't um, uncover certain parts of it. Well, as a high school student, that didn't really sink in much until later in my life I started thinking about those concepts, and it made sense. I mean, here we were a bathing suit community, and yet from little kids to adults, we we learned that the body was evil in certain parts, certain parts of ourselves. And um, when I became a teacher and started writing uh, as a freelance uh, writer, I understood that this was something that I wanted to know about. It wasn't until I was teaching here in Lompoc Elementary School, and I read an article by Benjamin Spock. You know, the baby doctor? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, parent and child care. And the, the article was in Red Book Magazine, and the article basically said this, Parents make sure you don't let your children see you nude after they're about three years old. And it, it was pretty detailed in that he gave reasons for that. And the reasons sounded like insanity to me. <laughs> hmm. And so I wrote him. And I got a letter back from a secretary that said, basically, who are you? This is the most um, famous baby doctor in the world. But it just piqued my curiosity because it didn't seem to me that it made much sense to treat the body as evil. Even though I, I was not from a, a nudist family, uh, my family's um, 
very typical, very middle class, um, and very normal in the, our, our attitudes about um, covering ourselves. I mean, they're very common attitudes. But as I became an adult and started thinking about that concept, what in the world was it about certain parts of us that made it almost evil? Certainly nefarious. So the more that I started reading and writing about it, the more my curiosity was piqued when here was Dr. Spock saying this was just something that you should avoid. <clears throat> One of the things that he based that on in his article <clears throat> was that when he was a young man um, with a three-year-old son, he was Dr. Spock was shaving in his bathroom, and he said he was nude, and his son came in, three years old, and reached up and struck at his naked penis, and his conclusion was that his son was obviously resentful. And it seemed like to me that the obvious thing was here was some appenditure that was about head high <laughs> to this three-year-old. Mm -hmm. It would be natural that he would, you know, um, <clears throat> be curious about that. I, I didn't see any resentment, so I just started writing um, to Spock and, and reading as much as I could, and then becoming aware of there was an actual movement of people who went nude. I really didn't hadn't thought about it before then, um, and didn't know much about the existence of of nudism or philosophy. So <clears throat> that's my connection. Now, I have, as I said, grown up at the beach, been uh, involved in uh, in outdoor sports. So most of my life was spent with very little clothing. But I started realizing that as I thought about and wrote about a body acceptance philosophy, which it, it didn't have a name yet. I, I hadn't even thought that much of it out, but it, it occurred to me that I really did enjoy the comfort of being without clothes, even though it was always a private matter uh, at that time in my life. You mm -hmm. know, if I was backpacking or hiking by myself or or swimming, I, I like to be nude. Mm -hmm. But when I wrote to Spock and, and he, his uh, correspondence to me was um, basically how dare could, how dare you um, quibble with what I said because you're, you know, you know who I am. I decided to write an article and tried to sell it to Red Book Magazine, an article that just looked at the literature. And when, I, was, when was that? Um, the article was in 1976. So from 1976 to 1982, 
um, those six years I spent um, writing an article to sell on the literature about body acceptance. What I wanted to do was look at the at the research literature. I wanted to see the scientific, if Dr. Spock, and there were others, Dr. Joyce Brothers, Dr. Fitzhugh Dodson, who wrote the books How to Parent, How to Father, How to Mother, um, uh, I wondered, well, what are they using? What empirical data are, are they using? So that was the idea of behind my article. Well, what I found was there wasn't any. I found a round robin of quoting each other. And I found a man named um, Sandor Loran who wrote, uh, a, a psychiatrist who wrote in the 30s, after going to Sky Farm for one day, he wrote about parents parading around, and he used those words so it became part of the anti-nudist mantra, parading around in front of your children, unconsciously seducing them. <laughs> wow. Well, this is, Sander Loran was a psychiatrist, a one-day observation at Sky Farm in New Jersey, and it just seemed like idiocy. I mean, that's not science. No. I'm not a scientist, I'm a teacher, but nonetheless, I know something about science and, and the scientific method. So I decided to do this article, and I went to uh, Elysium, um, made contact with Ed Lang uh, at Topanga. Do you know of Ed Lang and, and Elysium Institute? Yes, absolutely. There in, in Los Angeles? Yep. Well, I, I was meeting with Ed... And my wife and I were in talking with him, and, and Ed Lang said, um, why don't you forget the article and write a book? <laughs> I didn't even give him a thought, you know? Right. But what I, what I was aware of, and when he said that, it, it came together. What I was aware of is that an article wasn't sufficient. Hmm. Because, first of all, there was no... Uh, empirical data. There was no study or studies that showed that children being exposed to adults nude or or children being exposed to other children nude was nefarious. That had deleterious effects. I, I just realized that there hadn't been. They were Fitzhugh Dodson was quoting Sander Laurent and and uh, then Joyce Brothers was quoting Dobson, and Dobson was quoting um, Dr. Spock, and, and there was just this round robin of kind of a pop psychologist um, research going on, or lack of research. And they were each using the other to verify their, their point of view. So I decided to ask nudists, not ask adults what they thought, but ask children who had grown up and now were adults about their experiences. 
did they find, as uh, Dr. Spock said that they would, terrible guilts and frustrations, difficulty in school, um, sexual uh, difficulties and sexual frustrations based on their experience and, and coinciding with their experience. Well, I didn't find that. <laughs> so uh, a friend of mine, Dr. Bill Spots, who's a psychologist, helped out writing um, the, um, the research, the questionnaire, and we advertised and, and uh, tried to gather a, a, a uh, cross-sampling of adults who had grown up as nudists and say, did these things happen? And we ran uh, just a little less than 100 of them. After We didn't random sample because it was hard to it was hard to get a large enough sample to, to do then a, a random sampling. But we did get a, a population of adults who said, okay, this is my experience, and then we could, we could compare them. And we compared them with some studies like Sorensen's Adolescent uh, Sexuality, published in the 70s, uh, some other uh, studies about adolescents, and we compared them, and we found that the first sexual experience for a nudist child was actually later than a non-nudist child. So, so the contention that being around naked people would make them sexually active sooner just wasn't the case. It just didn't seem to be developing. And that caught the interest of my psychologist friend. And once that came out, he became a part of the project. So on our first book, Growing Up Without Shame, um, Dr. Sparks wrote the last chapter, the amendment, um, on the uh, research and how it was done and, and, um, and the methodology. So... We, we have my point of view as, as, as a, a lay person that looking at the, the notice that we gathered, and then we had a scientist actually looking at the material that we gathered in our method and evaluating them. So the book was not meant to be the definitive study on children and nakedness but we hoped and it certainly seems to have been because after we finished there was lots of studies but a study that got things going got people thinking got people uh talking and arguing about it and then some actual imperial studies um dr story at northern iowa university did her uh study on um, self-concept and that was, I think, back in the 70s. So it, you, Maryland Story. Maryland Story, yes. Yeah. So you write this book. Uh, you're a, an elementary school teacher, and you're a man. Were you not concerned that uh, you might be considered some sort of uh, 
uh, you know, pedophile or something like that by the, you know, the teachers, the other teachers or the parents or the school administration and lose your job? Well, I wasn't, but it seemed like everybody else around me was. I mean, uh, I was counseled uh, by many not to get involved in this kind of thing. But being being a writer and a passionate person, once I get involved in a project, you know, that project is pretty much leading uh, where I go. And, and so I wasn't afraid of it. And then what I started finding was, because my family was going to the nude beach by then and, and enjoying a, a, a pretty open lifestyle uh, in terms of body acceptance. And I really figured this is the person I am and, and you know, they can take me as I am. And then there were some cases, some very, very important cases for me uh, in terms of winning over my friends and family about the project. There was a teacher in Victorville, California, who was fired because he posed in Playgirl magazine. Hmm. And after two years, he... he he fought his firing and went to court, and, and he had the uh, the conviction overturned and his firing overturned. And the school district had to pay him back pay and retroactive pay as if he'd been working and and uh, getting the benefits. And so, no school district in California, at least, would um, make any. Uh, waves about a teacher who was a nudist. Not, I didn't, of course, preach it or or, uh, involve my students in that philosophy. It was my private life. And then the, um, and then the proof came when the book was published in 1982 as The Naked Child. And it was uh, publicized here in, in this county and uh, throughout the, the state, and we had some some national publicity. I was on a couple uh, national radio and television shows. And it, it actually wasn't a problem at all. I mean, there were a few parents, I suppose, but no one voiced any real objection. Uh, after all, it, it was... Um, a book of an attitude that really existed, a movement that really existed. And so, no, I I wasn't, and I didn't have any problems at all in that regard. And so since the publication of that book, what have you been working on? Well, after um, Growing Up Without Shame, I spent an awful lot of time lecturing on that book and on the study and on what we found. Uh, I've spent a lot of time at uh, universities in Southern California lecturing in human sexuality classes uh, and related uh, disciplines about body acceptance. I'm also, at this point in my life, very involved in the nature's movement. Um, I was a friend, a close friend, I, I think, of Lee Boxendahl. We were 
both kind of, uh, he was forming his group and I was doing my research. We did a lot of correspondence. Um, he visited, his sister lives in, or lived um, in Santa Barbara area. So when Lee would come to see his sister, uh, he would come and, and visit us. And, you know, we would share experiences and, and discuss long into the night. So uh, because I had spent so much time talking about it and involved in it, uh, it really became a major portion of my personality and and my efforts. I still am uh, involved in naturist. I will be uh, speaking at the Western Gathering. Last year, I was at the Eastern Gathering um, talking about body acceptance and things that uh, we dealt with in the book. But while I was doing the uh, Growing Up Without Shame, there were some questions that occurred to me about, well, why are we so puritanical as a society? Why is American society so sophomorically giggly over sexuality and nakedness? And there was an idea there. It, it was germinating, but it, it hadn't organized itself. It hadn't come together. And talking with Ed Lang about um, another book, a next book, it occurred to me that based on this one concept, we celebrate nudity in museums and in parks and um, any kind of celebration of art contains a high degree of nudity. We celebrate that, and we condemn and criminalize nudity at the same time. It just seemed nuts. It just seemed really ridiculous. So that was the start of Naked Fear, I had an idea, but I didn't quite know where it was going at that time. But I came upon a book by Charles McKay about popular delusions, published and written and published in the 1850s. But it had to do with why large groups of people um, get almost hysterical about certain things. His germination was tulip mania, he talked about in in Europe, when tulips became so big, um, it was so popular and such a big thing that uh, a, a tulip could be worth thousands of dollars. And he discussed other hysterical um, movements where populations just become convinced by some kind of propaganda, whether it's a formal propaganda or not, or, or just kind of comes together. And after reading Charles McKay, I knew what I was going to write. I was writing about, for Naked Fear, how our attitudes came together in terms of American uh, Western attitudes and looking at 
what are the components. So we, I came up with uh, some guidelines and then started working on Naked Fear. And, and Cease and I came up with the title Naked Fear because we really do seem to fear nakedness uh, as a Western society. You know, today, especially with, with the television and the, and the Internet, we will show nakedness on television, but we will blur out <laughs> those, those offending parts as if they didn't exist, <laughs> or as if if you saw them, suddenly you would become um, some kind of heinous criminal or oversexed person. So that's what I then spent the next, oh, 14 years on, Naked Fear. Compiling information about what it is that makes us feel the way we do about the uncovered human body. Sounds interesting. Now, you've been a witness for, it's been, what would you say, 40 years or so? Yes. Since yeah. you started looking at this and you wrote uh, the uh, Growing Up Without Shame. Do you think that we're heading in the right direction? Are things getting better or worse? Well, by better, if you mean, is our society um, more accepting of, of uh, the human body? Yeah. I'd say no. It, it's getting, what, what we did was, it seemed, you know, everything is cyclical. And it just seems like we went through a cycle of very open, in the 60s with uh, the Sexual Freedom League and, and this, you know, kind of attitude of, of uh, protest and looking into uh, ideas uh, with a progressive attitude. In the 70s, it seemed to hit the high point in terms of participation at the free beaches, at the nudist camps, um, uh, nude uh, therapy groups. There was the hot tub groups. There was, a, especially in, in California and Los Angeles, uh, a lot of psychologists who actually had... Um, nude therapy hot tub sessions. That was in the six, late 60s and, and 70s. But, and I don't mean it as political as it might sound. It might be a reason, but I'm just naming the era. But when Ronald Reagan was elected president in the United States, America seemed to take a sudden reversal of, of that open progressive attitude in terms of the human body. And what, what I gauge it on now is in 1976, we had a national nude beach day that Lee Boxendall uh, crusaded. We had that day and I contacted people from up at uh, Rex Beach, Rex Beach up in uh, Canada on the Pacific Coast, 
all the way down to black speech. And I compiled the number of people, what number of people who were on the beach at that day. And it was almost as many people as the American Sunbathing Association, which was the name of the of the uh, nudist group at that time, had as members. There were only about 35,000 people who actually had memberships in the ASA at that time, and yet we had more than that on the beaches of California, Oregon, Washington, and Canada on National Nude Beach Day in 1976. Hmm. So at least it, it was obvious that there was an awful lot of people um, going nude is either recreation or part of their uh, lifestyle philosophy on that particular day, more than even held membership in, in a nudist organization. Well, today, at the same beaches, there won't be 200, 300, 400 people there will be 30 or 40 people. And do you, why do you think that is? What, why did people go away from this movement, from this philosophy? In America, we, we started thinking more conservatively. And, and I, I don't know um, why it, it took this, this turn and, and this cycle occurred, except from what I've said in terms of Politically, we got more conservative. Uh, we elected a conservative president who was elected by middle-class working people. Um, when I was in college, I graduated from college in 1967. When I was in college, um, College was a bastion of, of progressiveness. It, it was where it, it developed. When I would go speak at the colleges in the 80s on, in the human sexuality classes, um, the, the conservative groups were as large in, in the major universities in California as progressive groups, which was unheard of when I was in college. I can only guess at the reasons, except we started becoming more conservative in so many ways. And I say conservative um, with body acceptance at the core. St people started looking at, uh, young people started looking at the body as something that it wasn't the the badge of of liberalism and freedom and individuality that it was in the sixties and seventies. It started to be um, a much more traditional uh, religion based uh, keep yourself covered kind of thing. So, what do you see for the future? Do you see the trend continuing towards conservatism, or do you think that we're changing yet again? I see it changing yet again. I hope that books like uh, The Nudist Idea 
and nakedness and naked fear and growing up without shame will get people to think about the the ridiculousness of having certain parts of the body um, so criminalized when we celebrate those same body parts in art. Uh, we have Michelangelo's David, uh, almost as a national monument. He didn't create it here, but America has adopted that. And yet, um, that same image is still criminalized. I do, see, I do see it getting better. I don't see it getting better in leaps and bounds. But I do see... I do see it getting better in terms of more body acceptance. It's very frustrating for somebody like myself who've gone through these periods when um, we really had, you, you could almost not find uh, people in, in the college community who weren't open to um, body acceptance, going nude at the beach or uh, hot tub parties or this kind of thing. You almost couldn't find them who who weren't open to that. Maybe people hadn't experienced it, but um, you know they were at least uh, uh, considering it or, or would think about it. Ten years ago, it it totally reversed. Uh, I seeing I see it coming back but not fast enough for myself. And, and what about the naturist uh, or nudist movement? Do you think that uh, they are partially responsible for the decline, and do you think they're doing anything right or wrong at this point? Well, the, the, I'm closer aligned to the naturist movement because of being a naturist, and naturism is how can I say this exactly? Nudist movement is, to a large extent, a business endeavor. These are people who own property. They have a facility. It's to their best interest um, to promote the the, uh, the acceptance of nudity at their place or those kind of places, uh, those kind of environments. I, um, I identify more with the naturists because they're more identifying with a philosophy of body acceptance. Um, I see a lot of good that have come out of the American Sunbathing Association and now ANR. But a lot of the conflicts, I've, I've spent a lot of time at those, uh, at their large conventions and in their yearly meetings. And a lot of it, they get bogged down in the politics, the business politics um, of the movement rather than the philosophy of accepting the human body. So the naturists, I think, are are much more progressive and much more um, responsible for large gains 
in uh, winning back that acceptance. Uh, legislatively, the, the Natures have a Natures Action Committee who works on actual uh, legislation bills that, that are coming up that would uh, limit our uh, public lands access. Or, but um, I see positive in, in both groups, but I but I more identify with with the naturist. Um, I more identify with the naturist because so many of the the uh, naturist are much more in tune with a philosophy rather than um, an investment. Does that make sense? It does, yes, absolutely. So what about the um, uh, growing up without shame? Do you think it's possible to that it's in need to, to be republished and maybe updated? We've talked about that a lot over the last 10 years, it took so long and so much effort to do Naked Fear. I'm 70, and I don't have the energy to redo um, Growing Up Without Shame at this time. I might, you know, as, uh, uh, as we, the further away we get from the publishing date of Naked Fear. Uh, the thing about being a writer, once you be, are published, if you are published, it, even with a, a large uh, publisher, after it's published, there's a lot of business of getting it distributed and, and uh, sold, publicized, you know, this kind of thing. So it takes up an awful lot of your time. Well, Cease published uh, Naked Fear in uh, January of 2011. So this year has been packed with getting uh, book signings and speaking engagements and this kind of thing. So it's possible that we would rework Growing Up Without Shame. Mostly, uh, we, most of the objections and most of the people who have promoted uh, and suggested us doing a, a, an update, there are a lot more uh, studies to refer to. But a lot of the objection is from, in terms of the, the photography that we use, some of the, the photography range from the early 40s right on up to... Um, the mid to late 80s, you know, with uh, uh, things that were representative of the times when the book was was being written. So a lot of the objection has been out with the photography. Um, and that's not enough right now for me to jump in and, and redo it. But if, if I gained, you know, I gained some time, uh, I've retired from elementary, but I still teach college. So um, during this master's, I'm pretty busy. Well, that's fantastic. I think I've got more than enough here for the, an episode of the podcast, so I thank you for that. Well, thank you. I appreciate you wanting to listen. Uh, when Cease 
presented me with uh, the idea and your your name and and that he had uh, done an interview, uh, I wanted to find out about you. So I listened to those. And the reason that I agreed, enthusiastically agreed, is what you said that made it sound like you had you were more involved in the philosophy than buying a nature's club and wanting, uh, because it was an, an investment and it happened to be uh, a nature's club or a nudist club. And that distinction made me want to talk to you. Well, that's all for this episode of the Naturist Living Show. My name is Stefan Deschain. I'm your host for this podcast and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Thank you for listening. I really appreciate all the thousands of people, obviously, out there that are interested in what we have to say, which is wonderful and very rewarding. As usual, you can find links to all the items that I talk about in the show notes on the website at naturistliving.bearoaks. That's B-A-R-E, of course, bearoaks.ca, because we are in Canada. Please keep sending your comments and your suggestions. I always appreciate getting them. The show's email address is naturistliving at bearoaks.ca. Join us again in about a month for the next episode of The Naturist Living Show. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca.